Hey everyone, it's Get Cynical, Season 3, Episode 4, the story, the continuing story of Max Landis. And we are once again watching a real movie, because uh, that's what we do now. We watch actual movies uh, made by <laughs> real people. Yeah. It's such a dis it's so disorienting to not watch stuff that was made in a lab or shot on a flip <laughs> video camera. Yeah, the idea that this was like people saw this like in theaters, like yes. it has like real people in it. Like good actors yeah. in it. <laughs> good actors trying trying their their absolute best. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's American Ultra and man, this really you know, every single episode, I'm going to say this made me hate Max Landis, but this like just deepened my contempt for him. I think I understand him a little bit more, but man, it really fucking just made me, uh, God, I, I truly despise this human being. Uh, but joining us is Esther's girlfriend, Hannah, who is going to once again, turn Esther into the Andy of our show. <laughs> it's, it's going to be an effort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Hannah, you wanted to be on this episode. Why did you want to be on the American Ultra episode? Okay, so, uh, I'm gonna do my absolute best to turn myself into the Andy with this bit of <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> context. So, Esther, you have the perfect layup to gang up on me, okay? Okay. All when right. I saw this movie in 2015, I had the classic, classic reaction of just having seen a horrible movie that you can't wrap your head around in various ways we were like i'm gonna have to sit with this for a while but i think it might be major <laughs> <laughs> the blue is the warmest color move i see yes <laughs> and i can tell you exactly why it's because like you know it, it was like right before i really got serious about like retransitioning mm. and it's this is a movie about being a former gifted kid and it is a movie about, like, you know, your wasted potential and how you feel like you're a drag on the people in your life. And also, Kristen Stewart is, like, what, when I closed my eyes at the time, I thought I wanted to transition into. And Jesse Eisenberg mm. is what I look like on a daily basis. <laughs> so there are just a lot of shit that just, like, kind of hit me in the exact right places where I was like, oh, my God, this movie is important. <laughs> And, it's such and you a worked shame. for the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do work for the CIA, yeah. I actually, yeah, you were, you were an asset. No, okay, uh, literally at this time, I was getting headhunted by Palantir. Um, so. <laughs> but, okay, the, the most embarrassing aspect of this is that I, um, I got one of those cinema score cards when I walked out of the theater. You know, where they, like, tell you, like, oh, give this movie a grade um, from A to F on, like, opening night. And then that's used to kind of just, like, determine how much audiences like the movie, right? And I was thinking mm. to myself, this is somewhere between a B and an A. But I have the feeling that more people are going to say B. So I think it's the right thing for me to do to give this an A. <laughs> <laughs> You're supporting original, independent film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You all exactly. want medium budget non IP movies and you don't <laughs> like this? What's wrong with you? Come on. Do you do you want do you just want more Marvel stuff? I thought yeah. you liked I thought you liked original zany mid budget films. <laughs> and this is an extremely original film. We were talking when we were watching it the other night, like this film really like 
came out at the exact wrong moment because John Wick came out a year before this. Yeah. Like, like John Wick just fucking curb stomps this movie. Oh my everything God. Dude. To be. Yeah. Literally. I, someone like someone involved with this movie, like a producer or something had to have seen John Wick and immediately killed themselves. After <laughs> stepping out of the theater. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it, Oh my God. Uh, Hannah, you said that you also watched this after you uh, uh, went through a really rough time in your life. Yeah, no, it was um, it, it was like right after a suicide attempt. So like oh. I was I was in a position emotionally to just basically like look at the absolute dumbest shit and feel like completely affirmed by like the beauty of life. Yeah, yeah. Well, We've that's crazy that you say that because uh, like you know. A couple days from now, I'm probably going to attempt myself because I watched this movie. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, uh, I think if you had shown me like Victor Frankenstein at that time, I would have just like been bawling and been like, "It's it's about how life finds a way." I thought if you showed you you were showing Victor Frankenstein at that time, you would have gone through with it. <laughs> Victor Frankenstein really resonated with me because, like, at the time before I transitioned, it was like. Frankenstein, when he was just the body parts, that was like Shut me. <laughs> and then after he becomes Frankenstein, that was like what yeah. I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and again, to just maximize how embarrassing this all is, like I was older at that point than Spencer is now. So like, <laughs> never let anyone ex- tell you that trans women have their shit together and are emotionally mature yeah. people. I really wonder like what my movie will be. Like, I think in one year I'm going to see like, some movie that's made by Noah Baumbach and like it'll like cause me to get my shit together. Like I think <laughs> I'll, I'll find something truly terrible, just some fucking dog shit Sundance movie that's going You're to make go me see like Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Yes, yes, yeah. That movie is going to make it so I don't need to take uh, Prozac anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're you're gonna see like the surprise ten years later sequel to like the hit of Sundance from 2013. You're gonna yeah. fall in love with the dying girl Earl and myself. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Earl, and she's still dead. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So American Ultra. Uh. As we uh. As we have discussed on the show before, if there is one thing that Mr. Max Landis likes, it is superheroes. Mm-hmm. My man loves fucking superheroes. That's part of why I hate him so much. I'm turning into like a fucking like a uh, Marvel is freaking crap guy because of this guy because he only watches like superhero movies. Like he's got fucking screen junkies brain where like he only watches just like mass cultural fucking dog shit. And he's like, this sucks. I could do it better rather than go, this sucks. I'm going to stop watching this. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I've, so I've been watching a lot of his like pitch videos on his YouTube, which a lot of which mm. we're probably not even going to talk about, but it's crazy how many times in these he references like the same fucking scenes from dog shit eighties movies. Like <laughs> in two different pitch videos, he says like, the, and, and this is just like the scene in Ghostbusters where all the ghosts get released and that song <laughs> plays. Like, he referenced, like, that is what is fucking, like, alive in his brain at all times is just, like you say, like, Screen Junkies fucking Crack.com canon. Yeah, no, just yeah. that shit. You you talked about the bane of, like, the the scourge of the 80s movie guy. Yes. And that was, that was any, that's an important and often forgotten part of 2010's culture. Like that's sort of like an outgrowth of the epic bacon guy is the 80s movie guy <laughs> mm-hmm. who loves yeah. fucking 
Ghostbusters and The Princess Bride and Die Hard. Like, they're the reason why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. You have to fucking mute your uncle on fucking Facebook <laughs> every fucking Christmas because you have to see that shit all the time. Yeah. yeah. But he is he is very much... He is an 80s movie guy, and he is, like, perhaps the final boss of 80s movie guys because his dad was the most evil yeah. <laughs> filmmaker from the 80s. He was raised as an 80s movie guy. Well, I was, yeah. I was thinking about something related to this because um, I was listening to your Chronicle episode at the gym today. Um, and th the realization that I had is that, like, if... Bill Simmons was 20 years younger than he and Max Landis would be, like, best friends in the world. Yeah. <laughs> they, they would, like, talk about movies in the same, like, guy who is incredibly smug about making an incredibly basic observation type of way. Um, mm. And, like, American Ultra is something that, like, 20-year time-shifted Bill Simmons is a big fan of. I it's guarantee just like the that. Scene in, you know Ghostbusters? You know Ghostbusters? It's just, like, the scene where they... Great movie. Uh, they little... <laughs> <laughs> Any Bill Simmons heads in the Get Cynical fan base, you're gonna love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh my God. So he he loves superhero movies, and mm -hmm. this is of course basically another superhero movie. And the the superhero movie he is making this time, rather than edgy X Men, is uh edgy or uh it's stoner born identity basically. It's the it's yeah. the uh. It's the it's the uh, boring identity, if you ask me. Fucking folks. got him, folks. Boom. Is this thing on? Is this thing on, folks? <laughs> no. Um, but it is a it is a story of a stoner who lives in West Virginia, and uh, he is being targeted by the CIA for termination. But he is activated by his handler by not his handler by like a supervisor with a guilty conscience. And he's like start, he basically her. turns into Johnny John Wick. Johnny I Wick, I love the the like the Connie Britton character because like her whole role in the movie is to just be like we don't hurt people in CIA. <laughs> 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 it's just like wait, wh what movie do you think you're making? <laughs> like I don't know who this is appealing to. Like it's not appealing to Lib sensibilities. It's not appealing to like dirtbag leftist sensibilities. Like. What yeah. is this character? There should, there's going to be, like, in five years, there's going to be one of those people on Twitter who's like, isn't it suspicious that this movie about how the CIA is evil, you can't find it on streaming anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but she she plays, you know, she basically plays like a, a like a, I don't know. She it's sort of like a, a nicer version of Helen Mirren from Eye in the Sky. It's like it's like a Helen Mirren type role, basically. Yeah. She's the mm -hmm. she's the like a uh, CIA officer with the heart of gold. And um, what is it? She eventually she she realizes that uh, Jesse Eisenberg, this character, Mike Howell, is a former like CIA super soldier who had his memory wiped and now is being targeted by the CIA for termination. And then she activates him and he goes John Wick mode. And the whole thing is basically him just like running around his fucking podunk hometown um, and like fighting off like bad guys played by Walton Goggins mm -hmm. and like various other people. I, I have one quibble at that description, which is that he is at no point running around the town. He is walking at a leisurely pace. Yeah. An insane amount of this movie is spent with characters just sort of like wandering around being like, I don't know, where do you want to go next? It's funny. Yeah. It, feels, it's, it feels like almost like a COVID era movie because like... <laughs> There's never more yeah. than two people on set at the same time. Everyone's always has to be like very far apart. And like, yeah. 
It's like everything's yeah, it, empty. Yeah, yeah. It feel it feels like a Hong Sang Soo movie at points where there's just like two people talking like six feet apart, and you're not really sure what the point is. Um, no, it was so but, fucking epic when he killed that guy with a bottle of soju. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but oh god, no this this movie. I think the main thing with this movie for why it's like unwatchable but really confounding is like like 60% of it is just John Wick. Like it's just like, yeah. you know, a guy going around fucking murking people in increasingly violent ways and fighting for his life. It's partially John Wick, partially born identity, but like it, it feels like someone with like a CTE did a rewrite of this or something because occasionally they'll like stop the movie dead for like a bit and it'll be like, uh, someone's like, uh, the, my, uh, someone has told me that the operatives are closing in on the location. And then someone will say, uh, who said that Daffy duck, like just something <laughs> like just right in the middle of the fucking like yeah. suspense sequence. They'll do not even like Josh, Joss Whedon, like, uh, so that happened thing. It, it's, it's, it's very difficult to describe. It's, it's a subgenre of Whedon speak, but it, it's mm -hmm. less intelligent. I want to say it's, it's funny because it's like stoner Whedon. <laughs> it's funny because like this movie like infamously was marketed as like it's a stoner comedy and you know there's going to be some wacky action like the joke of the movie is that he's a burnout stoner but whoa he's going to do all this crazy action and it's going to be funny but the movie is not a comedy like it's it is not it's no. an action movie first and like an action drama <laughs> with like yeah. occasional stops to do these bits and it, yeah you're right Spencer it feels like it was rewritten it feels like it was yeah. like someone read the premise and then read the script and was like, why isn't this funny? The premise obviously <laughs> is supposed to be a comedy. So just rewrite it with some jokes. Yeah. yeah, like there's a there's like a recurring thread where like, you know, the, the government tells that the uh, both the fucking Connie Britton and Jesse Eisenberg character are like have a monkey virus, basically. And then someone is like, um, you fuck monkeys. Do you fuck monkeys? Because it sounds like you fuck monkeys. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is happening? Like they never fucking go anywhere with that even, right? Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. like they pay off that joke in any way. It's just that like every 50 minutes they remember they have to make a joke and it's like, oh, fuck, uh, do the monkey shit again. <laughs> yeah. I do love how just randomly in this movie, like, they just, like, uh, they just fucking transported in, um... James Franco from Spring Breakers just in the yeah. middle of this movie. <laughs> Dude. John Leguizamo in this movie. It really, it really is. Once you get into his house, it's like, wow, they fucking love Spring Breakers, huh? The yeah, oh my god, shit. dude. And they love Spring Breakers and they love Breaking Bad because, like, he's also <laughs> doing fucking... Huel is there, mm -hmm. and they do, like, season one, Jesse's like, hey, man, this shit go crazy, man. I don't know what the fuck is going on with no monkey virus, but that shit is capping. To confirm, just he like does fucking... say the N-word multiple times. He says the N-word. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> yeah, was... when he's in his first scene, he's wearing these huge sunglasses, and he's saying the N-word. I leaned over <laughs> my head, I was like, he's probably asked to wear those glasses so he wouldn't be recognized. <laughs> Yeah, no. This is like the next time he says it, he's like around Huel and one other black actor, and it's like, what the fuck? What is happening? That was a hundred percent a Landis specialty because that yeah. is, yeah, has to be. <laughs> but no, to, to, to your yeah. point about it not being a comedy, it's like I remember when we were watching this last night. I just like, you know, moused over um, to see like how far in we were, and it was just like, oh, we're ten minutes in. And there hasn't been a single joke, right? And, like, usually yeah. when people say that, what they mean is that, like, there hasn't been a single joke that landed, right? But here's just, like, no, literally 
no jokes, no attempt at humor. The first 10 minutes is just like a Sundance movie about like having a girlfriend, but you also have anxiety. <laughs> Literally, the reason why the CIA gives him panic attacks so he can't uh so he can't leave the state. Yeah. yeah. Which and, I, I You know what's funny about that is a what? day after we watched it, I realized the movie it never actually says that. <laughs> like at no point <laughs> in the movie are they like, "Yeah, and remember those panic attacks from when you were at the airport? We uh, you know, brainwashed you to have those so you would The movie never says that. That happens I think, in the first scene, and it's never brought up again. I think Kristen Stewart says it once in passing. I think I remember her okay. saying it once, but yeah. that is they do kind of like glide over that a little bit. But it's it's weird because like that is underexplained comparatively, whereas like everything else in a movie is really overexplained. Like yeah. again, I, when I was listening to your Chronicle episode, like something that you guys mentioned is about how it's, this is like a really simple movie and the escalation is very sort of like logical point A to point B and it doesn't go into more detail than it has to, right? Like there's no subplot about like, here's the ancient alien conspiracy about how they got their powers and here's like a government program that's monitoring them. It's like, no, no, no. None of that shit is about these three kids and the shit that they're pulling. With this yeah. movie... There's an insane amount of, like... We spend so much time with the CIA characters and their, like, offices. They're not necessary. No. They're not necessary at all. <laughs> like, it literally just could be him and fucking Kristen Stewart just, like, hanging out. And you could still keep the twist that she's CIA. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's just... If if they're just running around, like, cold, it would probably be a lot better. And it wouldn't just fucking ping-pong to Connie Britton and Tony Hale for some reason. And... Um, Topher Grace. Topher Grace is a very evil man. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. He is mugging so hard in this movie. He is like, if you thought the shit he did in Spider Man Three was annoying, like he dials it up to fucking fifteen in yeah. this. Yeah. It's he. He's playing a very specific like mid two thousand tens kind of like a male feminist wrote this movie type of role where it's yeah. Like, Oh, of course, like, he's the man, and he doesn't like the girl boss, and he's gonna be really rude and misogynist, but she's gonna show him that actually she's the best CIA agent. Yeah, like, after every single line of Topher Grace dialogue, like, Landis just, like, s leaned back from his keyboard, just, like, exhaled and said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, he's literally just always looking at her. It's like, yeah, I bet you would be smart enough to think of this if your pussy didn't keep getting in the way, <laughs> if your labia wasn't blocking your vision. Yeah. And no, it's oh, goddamn. So yeah. yeah, he has all these intense panic attacks, and then uh, they they like target him. He kills a couple of guys out in the uh, out in the parking lot. And then they start, you know, they start their big walk around. I was going to say run around, but they start kind yeah. of idling, walking around from place to place, trying to figure out what's going on. And he starts yelling at uh, Phoebe, his girlfriend played by Kristen Stewart. He's like, what's happening to me? What's going on? And um, look, I know we're all supposed to pretend that Kristen Stewart is the greatest actress in the world now. Like, I know that people uh people were embarrassed by how fucking like all these fucking freaks in 2010 going like i would love to obliterate kristen stewart with a machine gun for being in the twilight movies i'm going to kill kristen stewart and barney yeah literally literally she was fucking barney for crack.com writers for a while but that said she is talented and she's good in other things but her key strength is that she's kind of like 
affectless and alien and um she's not good in this she's she's woefully Ooh, miscast disagree yeah. i think she's like the best the only good thing about this movie <laughs> yeah I think she's I, pretty good i think she's convincing yeah no i don't like her in this i mean it's not really her fault like she she's saddled with like all this like oh yeah you think you think i'm a fuck nugget i'm the only fuck nugget who cares about you type dialogue <laughs> yeah. but it's not her strength. It's not like it's not what she excels at. She excels at being like weird and distant and remote and underacting almost. And this role kind of calls for, I don't know, like a fucking Katie Sackoff type or something. That's a poll. Yeah. Spencer loves Battlestar Galactica. Um. Okay, yeah. But, I no, love but, Battlestar Galactica, dude. I I do think that like uh, I'm definitely on Esther's side here. Um. I still really like her in the movie, but. Yeah. I do think that there is a real sense in which, like, Landis kind of has no idea what to do with the character. Because, like, mm. she's supposed to be, like, this sort of ultimate, like, chill stoner girlfriend, right? Yeah. But then, like, he is, as you mentioned, incapable of writing a woman who's not shrill to some extent, right? Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's yes. like, she's just ping-ponging between, like, you know, being this, like, uh, chill stoner and just being, like... Why did you do that, Jesse? What is wrong with you? There is one yeah, li- line reading that that did make us both laugh. Um, Cause like he he's um there's like a shootout scene um at like a jail, yep. and like Jesse just notices after he's like locked Walton Goggins into a jail cell that there's like still a gun in the cell, and he just points at it and says like gun, and so like now Goggins is shooting at them, and they gotta run away, and like. A few minutes later, uh, Kristen is just, like, mad at him being, like, well, he wouldn't have noticed it if you had it just, like, you know, pointed at it and said, gun. And, like, the, the her line delivery on that with, like, the really sort of, like, affectless uh, shit is, like, it made both of us laugh. But- yeah, no, she, she has to do shrill within her specific range, and it just doesn't fucking click. I feel, I, I do feel bad for her since this is, like, a... Not a very forgiving... Any female role in a Max Landis movie is not forgiving. Like, Connie Britton... Connie Britton is supposed to be, like, the independent, strong-willed feminist who goes against the men and is ultimately, like, the more capable person. And she's still shrill somehow. Her one move is just, like, calling up Tony Hale and be like, Please! You gotta! (laughs) (laughs) Can you please help me? And they have fucking Buster from Arrested Development going like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, so they're running around, and uh, it is funny that she she is, like, the cool stoner girlfriend, and it's, like, <laughs> that's, I think, like, the most, like, compelling thing about this movie to Landis is, like, what if you could have a girlfriend that smokes weed and is cool with you having panic attacks and is hot, but she's secretly in the CIA? <laughs> she really is, like, the, the, the dream girl. It's, like, she's hot, she's a stoner, she puts up with your shit. She's way more ambitious she's se- than you. <laughs> she has a she's better secretly a badass. Yeah. Wait, what is her there job? was a, a she just, works at like a bail bonds place. We see her there at the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, there was a speaking of crack.com, I remember a comic that uh a mildly misogynist comic that described the uh, the four types of girlfriends or the four <laughs> types of wives. And <laughs> which one am I? Let's find yeah, out. Yeah, it was it was it was co- it was counterbalanced with the four types of husbands. To be fair, but okay. one of the one of the yeah it makes it fine. <laughs> but <laughs> the four types of wives. One of them was your mom, but with occasional sex. And Oof. 
whatever you say about crack.com that describes a certain type of female character to a t no yeah <laughs> every like, single female character max landis writes is your mom but with occasional sex and he like literally like references that explicitly in the movie right because like the um like the sheriff um you know just uh uh when jesse gets arrested for like killing those guys in a parking lot like spencer mentioned you know, like Kristen's there and she's like trying to explain stuff and diffuse the situation. And the sheriff's like, oh, so she's your girlfriend and your mom and your lawyer. <laughs> it's just like, man, <laughs> this yeah. is what too much TV tropes does to a person. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I watched Um, I watched like I had to watch for the other show, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the new one. And oh, no. um, what is it? Angie described the movie to me as it sounds like a. Uh, it sounds like a 36-year-old TV troper's ideal movie. And this is this is the same thing. This is the, like yeah. that's his like fun kids movie and this is his serious adult movie. That dude yeah. fucking loves American Ultra, which I want to step back and say there are like good ideas for jokes in this, but one it's kind of like dwarfed by the rest of the movie, which is this like existential nightmare about what if you're not a real person and everyone in your life is secretly conspiring against you and two they kind of like step on them like there's a scene early on when uh he's talking to john leguizamo and john leguizamo's like hey man y'all want to go to do acid in the strip club and then um like they they have jesse eisenberg who is not much of a comic talent um as this in zombie land proved uh, he just goes, no, no, man, it's uh, 8.15 in the morning, you know, it's uh, probably too early for that. And they just hard cut as soon as he gets a chance to even finish that sentence. Yeah. And it's, it's again, also, we got to talk about fucking Eisenberg, but, like, there there are, like, good ideas in this, I guess, for, like, you know, for either, I mean, it, uh, the combo stoner comedy and, uh, like, born identity type movie wouldn't work because if I'm high as shit, the last thing I want to be thinking about is what if everyone in the room is secretly programming me? Yeah, when, when you're high, what you really want is to, like, have to follow, like, a complicated conspiracy plot in a movie. Yeah, you want to follow a really in-depth plot. You want to see some people get decapitated by stuff you have in your house. And also, you want to think that your girlfriend is gang-stalking you. These are all great vibes for when you're stoned. Yeah. I, I, I want to, like, kind of follow up on something that you said there with the, like, decapitated stuff that you have in your house. Because mm. this movie kind of, it definitely thinks that it's about that, right? Like, yeah. um, it it really kind of, like, hit us because, like, at the very end, you know, spoiler, um, they make it out and now they have, like, a, a nice CIA job where they're doing, like, real missions. Um, yeah. Sequels, and, big setup for a sequel. Yeah. You know and, that, and there's, like... You know that they wanted to make wait. that shit. This, I'm waiting for it every day. The stinger scene yeah. has, like, Eisenberg has, like, let himself get captured um, and uh, is, like looking around the room and it's just doing these like you know um sam raimi like crash zooms onto like these household objects that are in the room and it's like he's gonna use these like massacre these guys and it's like wait is that the movie you you think you made here because like yeah this this is like yeah this isn't an edgar wright movie (laughs) No, yeah, it's not, not an Edgar Wright movie. That moment is a very Edgar Wright moment, though. It's, yeah, it's very, very hot fuzz. This movie thinks it's hot fuzz, for the yeah. record. It th- yeah, it thinks that it's like, what if hot fuzz was John Wick and also, like, can I get a side of Spring Breakers with that? Yep, yep, yep. no, 100%. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, the, 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 
all of the like choreography as far as like oh he's using like household items to like kill people like i guess he technically does because like the whole final scene is like he's in like a like a department store or like a kmart type place and he's just Mm. like you know killing all these evil agents uh with like you know stuff that he finds in there but like the choreography is just like really drab and shitty right and it's like you really can't get a handle on what's going on he's not using it in any like creative ways yeah um it's not mm. like in like in a john wick movie that's something that would happen right like there's the great moment in john wick 3 where they just bust into a room during a fight it's just like a museum of knives (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good gag yeah that's a good moment the good john wick 3 moment i'm thinking about is when they're in the library and he just puts a big ass book on it and just breaks a guy's jaw over it like the whole point of john wick movies nowadays is just like what is the most creative way we can fucking just disembowel someone yeah and it 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 works there but yeah i was like i wanted to like give this movie props for like having some kind of creative stuff like spooning a guy's neck out but it's so like underlit and it doesn't really have the same level of attention to detail that john wick has and also and i'm gonna channel my own fucking inner 80s movie guy here because this is not usually a deal breaker but in this specific instance it is the fake cgi blood in this looks like ass it's (laughs) It's like it looks like a student film like i can handle fucking cg blood i don't demand that everything look like fucking robocop but like dude it it looks so fake it looks like a nostalgia critic video like to boldly flee effects you literally yeah no it's (laughs) it's so tough and it does it it's hard to get immersed in like cool graphic you know, disgusting choreography. What is it? If it's like all fucking CG to shit and it's all just uh, so transparently all done in post. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's rough. Um, yeah. One thing like, that I think segues me nicely into, I did want to say something about the director of this movie. His name is Nima uh, Nurazada, who is a mm. British-Iranian director who made this uh, three years beforehand, made the film Project X and has not worked since. Um, yep. I was just perusing his Wikipedia page. And it says, um, Norizada is the son of political activist Ali Reza Norizada. And I said, oh, what? Interesting. Political activist. And this guy's dad is an Iranian monarchist. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is just yeah. an awesome thing to, thing to have yeah, your dad be. Your dad's an Iranian monarchist, and then you make, like, the 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 mumblecore movie mumblecore people don't like. You make Project <laughs> X. That's your legacy. (laughs) I would, yeah, I I would kill my son if that was him. (laughs) Yeah, does it say that, like, his other two sons are, like, club DJs or, like... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just, like, Persian excellence. Yeah. You're you're not supposed to, yeah, you're you're supposed to do that. You're not supposed to make, like, fucking movie called, like, The Hangout. And it (laughs) shot on a budget of $2.5 million and it makes even less. Yeah. Uh, speaking of like th- this movie's box office performance, um, I remember so at the time, uh, summer of 2015, uh, one of my clients at my work, which is like Nebulous Brand World type shit, uh, but yeah. it was Dolby, right? You know, with the sound systems and all that. And uh, I remember like they were telling us that like, oh yeah, like none of our like marketing stuff is really paying off, and and like it's it's not apparently a selling point and we're just wondering like what's wrong with that and so i like look at their social media and see like what movies they're advertising as having 
uh, like Dolby sound. And it was American Ultra. It was the gunman starring Sean Penn. And it was just more shit like that, which is like the most like, you know, um, 7-Eleven discount bid shit you've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, like all of Mind of Jason's favorite movies. (laughs) (laughs) Mind of Jason fucking loves American Ultra. Oh my God, dude. I would love to interview him and talk about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but... Oh god, this is <laughs> that is so fun. I like to imagine like a fucking I mean this guy definitely exists, but you know, like fucking Blu-ray video files or whatever, just with the fucking Dolby 5.1 uh surround system yeah. set up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you own half of the Criterion collection. <laughs> you spend all of your time on Blu-ray.com getting mad because like there's fucking a tiny a bit of like DNR in one frame of a movie from 1892. And then <laughs> you just like blow this on and you just are have your mind blown by yeah. the fucking Dolby sound system an american ultra this is absolutely the kind of movie that like you're watching a tv review on youtube and the guy is like uh now we're going to pop in just see it see one of my favorite movies and see how it looks on the new system it's like american ultra what sounds lovely uh yeah this is a really underrated flick uh, as you can see um the black levels are simply sublime here and, uh, <laughs> yeah you can really see uh you can really see all the nits in the image right now wow this is incredible <laughs> Oh, God. What more to talk about? So they, they, you know, they go on this wild goose chase. They go to the, uh, they go to the fucking, um, to the drug dealer's house and they have that spring breaker shoot out there, which by the way, all of the like, uh, ops that he has, like all the fucking, uh, CIA, CIA guys that are chasing him down are called tough guys. They're literally called like, that's what their code name is. They're tough guys. And meanwhile, uh, Meanwhile, Mike is called a quote wise man. He's a wise man. <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like I- I- Agent Girlboss is talking to Topher Grace, and she's like, "You always wanted to do the tough guy program, and you didn't believe in my wise man program." <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's actually like on brand for CIA shit. Yeah, the CIA, <laughs> the CIA loves. It, making program it's like we taught we spent four billion dollars teaching uh teaching cats how to sling crack and we called it <laughs> operation crack kitty <laughs> killed four hundred thousand people in guatemala it's um it's like the virgin chad meme but for the like most nebishy jewish guys in the world oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no so they they go to the shootout uh, the the drug dealer Leguizamo and all of his buddies get killed, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, then uh, can I say the quickly re- while we're on that scene, like I had watched this movie previously, right? And I could have sworn that they were going to do some kind of like clever payoff because like that's kind of how you think of Landis, right? Is this like really mechanical guy who like is obsessed with A to B to C type stuff? So mm. I thought that it was going to be like oh. They mentioned that they're gonna like release gas into this place, right? Toxic gas. But it's like mm. they're at like this, you know, really like obsessive drug dealer's place. I bet he has like gas mask bongs or something like that. And I don't know if that would work actually scientifically. Who gives a shit? But like it's clearly yeah. gonna be that's the payoff. But no, he just like yeah. beats up some guys and like takes masks <laughs> off of them. Yeah, and, yeah. Just, like, and then the stoners get shot. Yeah. It's like you you have no idea what the premise of your movie is. That's the thing about Landis Which, that, like, this is really putting into this really put into focus for me. Like, he is the kind of guy, and watching his pitches, it's very apparent. He is the kind of guy who, like, his way of telling a story is he'll just be like, 
scene to scene to scene. And the stuff at the beginning will pay off with the stuff at the end. But everything in between is like, I'm not focusing on interweaving things in an interesting way or like connecting back and forth. And like, it's, it's and just then like, this happened and then yeah. this happened. And then this happened and yeah. then this happened and then this happened and then the story stopped. The closest we get is that early on in the movie, he buys fireworks for his girlfriend and then he uses fireworks to do the final big fight at the end. That's like yeah. the closest we get of like uh, setup and payoff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really but intricate all... narrative design. He buys yeah. the thing at the beginning of the movie and then he uses it at the end of the movie. <laughs> Which I also want to say, apparently uh, Max Landis's idea for this movie was that he was, I'm not shitting you, he was reading about MK Ultra, and he was like, what if this happened to a, quote, ordinary stoner guy? <laughs> yeah, can you fucking imagine? Can you imagine what the world would be like if just ordinary yeah. drug users... <laughs> for the NK Ultra program? Yeah, can you imagine if the CIA targeted people who do drugs? Can you imagine that? Max <laughs> oh. is getting cancelled prematurely for just reading a Wikipedia article about COINTELPRO and be like, can you imagine if the CIA did this to normal people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so they they run around and uh, uh, fucking Kristen Stewart is giving a like tactical information to him. It's like this is a this is like nitrate gas or whatever. It uh it makes it so you fall asleep and then you die. So you got to stay awake. And this makes uh, Jesse Eisenberg very suspicious. And then she blurts out that she used to be his CIA handler, but then she fell in love with him. She uh she she had loved him the whole time, but he is naturally betrayed by this. So he uh he storms off to um what is it? He storms off to his house to just like die in peace, basically. And then uh the fucking CIA, both factions of the CIA close in on his house, and uh the house gets blown up, and then they run to a supermarket, and then they have this big like showdown in a fucking supermarket. And uh there is an incredibly bad oneer during the supermarket fight. It's so Dude, fucking dire. It's awful. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. Like I, I, you gotta feel whatever you think about him as an actor uh, for Jesse Eisenberg there, because it's like, oh, this is a guy who has not given enough time to like, you know, learn martial arts choreography. You know, it's like, yeah, you pluck this guy from doing like, you know, kind of. Uh, a stoner comedy social network social network or like Zombieland is technically an action movie but like he doesn't have like choreography in that so he much. just has to like shoot people and go like uh wish there was a twinkie instead yeah he doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to fucking like train like jackie chan for that yeah, yeah but it's it's just like very it's you know what it is um it's the like skinny nerd version of like late period steven seagal movies where like <laughs> in order to make him seem badass like the other person just has to like kind of stand there and like let him flick the gun out of their hand <laughs> yeah he does he does do like a fucking like a uh, cop in your classroom disarming yeah <laughs> at once <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty funny but uh so i guess we should talk about eisenberg since he is the star of the show i think eisenberg is a talented actor i think he's fucking phenomenal in the social network and he is good in other roles that i certainly can think of right now but um he is he uh he is dreadfully miscast here he is still kind of in social network mode and if you haven't rewatched the social network 
in a while. It's an impressive performance because it's pretty fearlessly unlikable. It's just like one of the most repulsive and skin crawling lead performances in a big movie since like Buffalo 66. Yeah. And he he's kind of just doing the same thing here. He's not really given much guidance as to what to do. And, and, and it's it, it it very much just like kind of shifts between scene to scene because like there's there's scenes where he's like kind of doing this almost like autistic coded neuroticism. Yeah. Just like really like you know withdrawing into himself and just being like oh, oh, oh maybe maybe we, we we could have like a nice life. But then there's yeah. like other scenes where he's just like kind of a chill stoner who's like hanging out with you know John Leguizamo and like the the two black guys that show up he's like in a fantasy football league with them and it's just like this is a different performance <laughs> like yeah 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 yeah. Well, yeah this guy this guy does not seem like he hangs out with people like no that's, yeah that's, like, like you say like that that is what eisenberg especially at the time was like known for and what he is really good at mm-hmm. and i don't think like again the this premise should be like fucking you know i don't even know who to think of but, like, it should be, like, an actor who's, like, laid back and fucking chill and, like, you yeah. know. Mm. The character, the whole joke of the movie should be this is a stoner who can do John Wick shit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, the easiest and most obvious version yeah. of casting. But, like, if he was, you know, the appropriate age for the role, then, like, a James Franco type, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or even Dave Franco. Like, Dave Franco is, is yeah. or, or, you know, like, that that kind of guy. Who or, says no? Hey, who, who, who says no? Um, <laughs> that kind of guy. Like, it, the... This movie is just like it does not understand what it should be, what its premise is, to like a disastrous extent. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this, sh- this should not. You cast fucking Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart, two of the nerviest and fucking twitchiest actors in America, as stoners. It's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That I guess that's also a problem with I have with Kristen Stewart's performance is that she doesn't seem stoned. She seems uh. She seems more of like a Xana, like a pillhead. Yeah, she seems yeah, more of like a pillhead to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She does not seem like a stoner girl. She's not <laughs> nearly annoying enough for that. But uh, this, yeah, so they have this big fight in the middle of it. And there's also Bill Pullman in this randomly. And Bill Pullman's probably in this because uh, the freak that he is, Landis probably loves uh, Independence Day. And wanted Bill Pullman in that. But there's a bunch of scenes in this where he is lit exactly like the way he looks in Lost Highway. Like, they're just like <laughs> him standing in the darkest room in the world, just going, like, the time has come. <laughs> just speaking yeah. in the same Lynchian dialect he used in that movie. And it's like, what? what? Does he a Lost Highway head? Does Max have, like, one good movie that he likes? There's no way Max Landis has seen Lost Highway. I refuse to believe yeah. that. Max Landis has seen <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 500 times. <laughs> literally, literally, if Max Landis pitched Lost Highway, it would be an origin story for one of the ghosts in Ghostbusters. Yes! That would be, Dude, that would be how he would pitch the movie. His pitch for Ghostbusters 3 opens with Slimer's origin story. <laughs> does it actually? It actually would, does. I, it actually does. Okay. I was like, haha, that's a funny bit. Wait. We might have wait. to do an episode on it. No, <laughs> that sucks, man. Yeah. No, yeah, there's too much fucking it, Landis content. It's it's it's, hard. In, it's he was like uh he's literally like Kevin Smith where he had like a hundred different ideas cooking at the same time. Like at, like at any given point, he had like fifty irons in the fire 
And they were all, and, but with like Kevin Smith, all the ideas was like, what if there was a superhero named Weed Man? And then with Max Landis, it's like, I'd like to see the origin story of one of the Thundercats. Like that's the difference between the two. Yeah, this is one. Of, remember, this is one of his four fucking movies that came out in 2015. Four. four movies that came out and this is considered to be the best one which if it is i'm just killing myself <laughs> oh, fuck you know who who max landis um i would be surprised if they like just straight up didn't get along in real life this isn't a hypothetical but oh fuck what's that guy's name adi shankar um the guy who did like the bootleg universe stuff where it's like mm. he would he would make these like fan films with like actual actors and actual directors for like um you know comic book characters and shit and there was like the the venom one where it was just a riff on man bites dog there was like a punisher one where he got thomas jane back for the role and there was the dark power rangers one that he did with um joseph khan um and like that is the exact sort of thing that like you can imagine those two minds just getting in a room together and just like riffing out all their ideas for like okay well what kind of origin story could we do for like the 500th most interesting movie that i've seen yeah and you know who would be like a good person to like you know fill up that room who'd be a good compliment to them both harry Knowles. harry Knowles would yes. be a perfect yeah, fucking sideband to the two of them i want a harry Knowles review of a max landis movie i want to see him like Max Landis is the supreme uh is the supreme finger fucker of Hollywood or something. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, can, so okay, one more performance that I think needs special yes. calling out here is Walton Goggins, who dearly love Esther and I are just almost finished with Justified. He's a fantastic actor. He is throughout most of this movie mostly kind of just doing like you know, slightly offensive Joker riff. But then in his last mm. scene, he really simple jacks it. Yeah. He really <laughs> just, I am Sam's it. Just this, this incredible, incredibly like tasteless moment where like Jesse has beaten him in a fight and like his, you know, he, he's like one of these agents who's been subject to like MK ultra type shit. Right. And it's like ruined his mind. And he just basically goes like, well, they hurt me and made me like this. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. I don't know how to feel anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's well, Yeah, it's one of those things that's like, it feels like a remnant from a previous draft where that was supposed to be like way heavier on it. And then on set, yeah. Watson Gawkins was like, do I have to <laughs> say it like this? I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, they, they, it is... It does feel like a, it's supposed to be a big moral reckoning. Like, you know, he just killed all of these people and they were all like insane asylum patients and he just like murdered them all. And then he realized like, oh, wait, these were human beings that were experimented on. But then they just have Walton Goggins going like, well, I may be a humble country insane asylum man, but I know that I know that what just happened wasn't right. Yeah, it's mm. it's. Poor fucking Walton Goggins. I mean... Poor everyone in this movie. Poor, poor fucking everyone. Tony Hale. Yeah, Tony Hale, like... Speaking of someone who's very talented, like... Tony Hale, after Arrested Development, got fucked over. Mm-hmm. Big time. Like, has he been in anything fucking good since that? Like, The Informant's a pretty good movie. Other than that, like, it's mostly just, like, Alvin and the Chipmunk shit. 
<laughs> I'm going to read the last five entries on his Wikipedia page. They are something called Nine Days, um, Arlo the Alligator Boy, <laughs> Cliff- Clifford the Big Red Dog, being, being the Ricardos, and Hocus Pocus 2. Yes. Oh, no. Poor fucking guy. Okay. Yeah. I just remembered something, which is a, a part of my theater going experience. It wasn't a very like packed crowd, but uh, and it was like pretty much silent throughout the whole thing. Like nobody re- really reacted to anything except for this one moment where after they're like breaking out of jail um, in like kind of one of those early uh, set pieces, um, it's Walton Goggins is there, and it's this like woman who's also part of the you know uh, tough guy program, and um, Jesse kills her by like. She's been, like, handcuffed to a chair by Bill Pullman, and he, like, you know, uh, knocks her down so she's sitting down on a chair, and he, like, you know, breaks her neck or something like that. And I just remember, at that moment, this guy in my theater just shouted at the top of his lungs, Fuck yeah, he sat that bitch down and killed her! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> I love it when Anton Shigur is watching movies with me. <laughs> as soon as uh, Hannah left the theater, he just shot up the rest of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only reason I survived is because I was so eager to give it an A on the cinema score. <laughs> <laughs> the, cin- the cinema score hands, uh, the, hands the piece of paper to him and it's like, what's the most you've ever lost on a cinema score grade? <laughs> But yeah, the that, cinema score brought you to this location. What purpose was the cinema score? <laughs> that phrasing, he sat that bitch down and killed her, is going to be rattling around <laughs> in my head when I die at like age 85. <laughs> oh, that's man, my that's rose fucking fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that guy's doing well right now. Yeah. And isn't in prison or hell right now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, so yeah, they they succeed. They beat the bad guys, and there's this great like, there's this great scene at the end where like, um, Topher Grace and Connie Britton are tied up in the middle of the woods like an in inglorious bastards, and they've got uh Bill Pullman pointing a gun at them both, and is like, "You both fucked up big time." And then they have um. They have fucking Topher Grace going like, well, I was a self-starter. I, I, I was a blah, blah, blah. And then he just fucking shoots. Uh, Bill Bowman just shoots him in the head. And then Connie Britton, he tells like, Connie Britton, like, you fucked up too. I'm terminating him. And then Connie Britton gives the most inspirational speech in the world. Just the most like, uh, just, you know, he's our asset. He's a $400 million man. He's the most successful asset we've ever had. And Bill Bowman basically like, in all but the action, just like slow claps for her for it. <laughs> this is my fight song starts playing in the yeah. background. When <laughs> Literally. He, he like calls um, in a drone to like airdrop like a, another hundred guys so that they could do like a, a clapping build up for him. <laughs> Butch, by the way, I forgot there is drones in this movie. It's so funny how comically evil Topher Grace's character is where he's just like keeps trying to be more and more evil. Like, he's just like, all right, we're going to drone strike the entire West Virginia city because of this one guy here. <laughs> they yeah. just keep escalating that shit out it, and out of hand. Every <laughs> movie in 2015 had to have, by having a scene with a drone in it, they were like, and this movie also makes some commentary on drone warfare. 
Yes. And there's that yes. awful scene where Tony Hale, it, it's like Tony Hale has to decide whether or not he's going to shoot the missile from the drone. And it's like, there's like 20 different cuts between like the drone flying closer and him going like, I don't know. What do I do? And he's literally doing like the Buster, like the exact same facial expressions that Buster Bluth does. during yes. it. <laughs> oh man and yeah they they end the movie all is happy ever after they get the cia job that you said and they the adventures continue in a nondescript asian country that's uh that's the next thing that happens and that is american ultra it is like um it uh i've never really i think that Sometimes people are a little over the top in their hatred of Edgar Wright. Like, he's not the worst thing in the world, but I kind of understand it now because this is sort of like if if Edgar Wright got addicted to, like, nitrous oxide or something and then tried to make a movie. Yeah. No. Okay. On that point, there's this one moment where um, it's, like, the shootout in, like, the middle of it where he's in his house after he's, like, gone back there to die. And he, like, mm. is hiding behind a counter and he throws a frying pan up and then he like ricochets a bullet off of it, right? Mm. But it's so fucking slow. Like they they just put so much slow motion and build up into that where it's like, okay, I, I, I get where this is going. Like I, there's nothing else here to build up to, right? And like yeah. if Edgar Wright did that, then it would be done with like snappiness, right? It would be like yeah. a crash zoom on the pan and then, you know, just these whippy shots that, you know, track the motion of, like, pans down, pans up, bullet ricochets. But here, yeah. it's, like, it's 30 fucking seconds of just, like, buildup of this. And it's, like, you yep. don't even know what you like about the shit that you're imitating. Yeah, if, this if, is if literally a John Wick movie, it would just be, like, one movement, bang. And, like, as you realize what's happening, you're like, oh, shit, that was so cool. But, yeah, the slow-mo just fucking ruins it. It's literal. It literally is like full fat Edgar Wright, despite the fact that all of Edgar Wright's movies are like two hours and change, and this is ninety minutes. Yeah. It's just like Edgar Wright without the fucking like metronome tight pacing and rhythms of like his Cornetto movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like everything lasts twenty seconds too long in this. It's insane that this movie is ninety minutes because like again, yeah, it's so long. Everything dude. lasts it, too long. It never ends. So yeah. much of the movie is spent with people just like walking around and figuring out where they're gonna go next, and it's just like, man, I know that Lannis is a great pitch artist, but like he clearly did not have ninety minutes worth of movie. He did yeah. not have no. a feature length. That's the thing. Yeah. Anything. So much of this movie is like it really reveals like, damn, Max Landis can maybe he can come up with a premise, but he cannot write a fucking movie to save his life. Yeah, no, he literally just has like the fucking premise carry him to the finish line. And even though he's like doing like almost beat for beat what you learn in screenwriting class about the three act structure and the monomyth, it still feels like he doesn't know how to write this. It still feels like a series of scenes that lacks any polish or coherence. It's ugh. Yeah. It's awful. To that point, and I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter the, well, the day we're recording this, not the day this comes out. But um, this movie has, like, the screenwriting tick that annoys me the most, which is in the opening scene, there's narration from Jesse Eisenberg, like, setting the scene. It's like, this is me, and this is my girlfriend, and this is my life. And then there's just no more narration for the rest of the movie. And you even think, like, because this movie starts with a framing device where he's, like, in prison, and they're like, you want to tell me what happened, son? Um, And then he, like, there's actually what I thought is, like, a, a... 
a minorly clever bit where like it shows the entire movie in reverse <laughs> up to the beginning um but you think because of that like oh that's going to be the framing device he's going to be narrating throughout the movie explaining what happened but no like the narration just stops and it bugs me so much because it's like the laziest possible way to like establish where your story starts and who your characters are by just like oh we'll just have the character in you know non-diegetic voiceover explain what's going on and then that and then just abandon the conceit whatsoever it's uh it bothers me so much it's so lazy yeah it's a very lazy way to like kind of breadcrumb stuff and honestly i straight up forgot about it by the time they circled back yeah like i straight up like oh yeah they did that at the beginning what whatever is this but <laughs> no it is it is a very lazy crutch to like start because if they didn't have that the movie that would just start with him like smoking weed in his room or something <laughs> you would lose your audience like this yeah but because like again th there's so much shit where it's just like you can imagine a somewhat more competent version of this movie where like, again, there's not so much constant like exposition where like occasionally maybe they're cutting to like the framing mechanism of it, but it's a lot more sort of like chaotic from Jesse's perspective and he doesn't necessarily know what's like going on. Um, and that like would make it much more in line with like a stoner comedy expectations. Right. But like, yeah, they ditch their framing mechanism idea. They ditch the idea of like it being a stoner comedy where like, you have this fish out of water protagonist that doesn't know what's going on because, like, he gets shit explained to him, like, every five minutes in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just, like, again, how do you make this movie without seeing just kind of, like, the really obvious ways to not necessarily make it good, but to make it, like, serviceable? Yeah, I mean, literally, uh, the other movie that kind of ate this one's lunch, aside from John Wick and The Bourne Identity and pretty much every single 80s action movie... Uh, is kind of the nice guys, honestly, since that one's kind of going for the stoner comedy vibe. And, you know, Shane Black, Shane Black is, for all of his faults, he is literally the writer Max Landis wants to be and yeah. isn't. Yeah. Like, it is every single thing that, Ma um, that Shane Black does well and every single thing that makes him sort of a distinct voice, Max Landis is trying to do the same thing, like indulging in his own pet interests and kind of giving an updated spin on these old genre tropes. For Shane Black, it's detective fiction, and for Max Landis, it's for superhero movies. But mm -hmm. he's not witty enough to do it. He's yeah. not, you yeah. know, clever enough, and he's too mean-spirited and sexist to pull it off, too. Yeah. yeah. If, if we're thinking about, like, the nice guys, then, like, Again, the the competent version of this movie, like the the ankle holster, the ankle holster gag in the Nice Guys would fit into this perfectly, right? Where it's yeah. like he's he's like, you know, uh, uh, he's high. He's like getting in his own head. He's like kind of imagining various ways that things will go, and you know, he like imagines, oh, it'd be so fucking cool if he had like a sick ankle holster. And it just like you know, the the payoff, the joke is that like it's not there. But like none of the the basic ideas for like how you work with the genre and pay any of it off are here and they would be if this was done by shane black yeah yeah no they 100 percent would be and also again shane black movies they have convoluted plots but you don't need to know what's going on to laugh at the bits mm -hmm. like you don't you don't need to know about like misty mountains or whatever to know that uh hey you know who else was just following orders hitler is one of the funniest <laughs> lines of the past 10 years mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, and again, like, you, the reason why you don't need to, like, know any of that shit in addition to just, like, the individual gags being good is that, like, 
the characters aren't supposed to know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the whole point of Ryan Gosling's character in The Nice Guys is that he has no idea what the hell is going on. He's seven steps behind even his own daughter. And, like, you know, you can kind of just kind of sit in that headspace and watch the movie as that. Or you can follow along if you want to. Whereas this, like, you are going to be so lost and so bored if you have no idea what's happening here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we start wrapping up, I want to read a quote, or at least part of it. Um, Because after this movie bombed, uh, this opened, in its opening weekend, sixth at the box office was $5 million. Sick. Behind Straight Outta Compton, which was at its second weekend. Mission Impossible 5 in its fourth weekend. Sinister 2. Hitman, Agent 47. And The Man Man from Uncle. Another bomb in its second weekend. It finished behind (laughs) all of those. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, rough. You're getting smoked by Mars Needs Moms, man. (laughs) Max Landis on Twitter said had this to say after this. He says, so here's an interesting question. American Ultra finished dead last at the box office, behind even Mission Impossible and Man from Uncle. American Ultra was also beaten by the critically reviled Hitman, Agent 47, and Sinister, despite being a better reviewed film than either. Which, by the way, American Ultra, 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so cool to pull that shit where you're like, oh, there's no space for like interesting and critically acclaimed movies anymore. Yeah. Where, like you, You're getting a poll quote from Dave Manning of the Richfield Press. which leads me to a bit of a conundrum why american ultra had good ads big stars a fun idea and honestly it's a good movie (laughs) certainly better in the internet's opinion than any other things released the same day if you saw it you probably didn't hate it so i'm left with an odd thing here which is that american ultra lost to a sequel a sequel reboot a biopic a sequel and a reboot and by that i just want to say he was very careful not to come out against straight out of compton in these tweets explicitly (laughs) that was the one he excluded um it seems the reviews didn't even matter the movie didn't matter the argument that can will be made is big level original ideas don't dollar sign am i wrong is trying to make original movies in a big way just not a valid career path anymore for anyone but Tarantino and Nolan? That's the question. Am I wrong? Are original ideas over? I wanted to post this to the public because I feel, put lightly, confused. And it's like, <laughs> it's just so funny. It's so funny to, like, lose that badly. Like, this, that, when you're when you're behind The Man from Uncle Week 2, you lost really badly. Mm-hmm. And be like, yep. wow, I, I don't know, man. I guess, um... We did everything right, so I guess original ideas are just are just not popular anymore. Can I just say also? Oh, please go. Also, for it. I want to say, fuck this guy. Like, okay, the majority of people, okay, the majority of screenwriters have a script as good as this one, which is to say, a bad one, but <laughs> roughly of the same quality. And they would like cut off most of their toes and fingers in order to make a movie for one tenth of the budget of this. Like that, that is that in you, because your dad was, you know, fucking Pinochet of the Twilight Zone, (laughs) you, you get to make all of these movies and you get to fail upward more than even the fucking Game of Thrones guys. And then you bitch and moan when your movie just barely breaks even rather than being a smash hit. You already had a fucking smash hit. You already had Chronicle, which blew the fuck up. And then you whiff once and you're like, ah, I guess people hate creativity now. It's like, no, the movie just sucks, man. It just fucking sucks. And it's also it's also funny that he brings up the um, that it had good ads because like 
you know, it, it says here in the very next sentence on the Wikipedia page that in another interview, he says it had, there was a misleading marketing campaign, which is like, he's right. It, there was. Like, how like, the fuck do you market this? Well, the, the, here's the thing. It's not that the movie was mismarketed. It's that the movie was wrong. It's misconceived. Like, <laughs> the way it was marketed is what the movie should have been. It's the movie yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, if anything, the marketing did the movie favors because more <laughs> more people are going to see your advertisements, that movie, than the actual one that you fucking made. Yeah. Can I just um, shout out very quickly, by the way, him saying, and honestly, it's a good movie. Like, it's fucking surprising to him. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, yeah, I think it came out okay. Yeah, if I do say so myself, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good job. <laughs> Before we go, Hannah, I have some really bad news for you that I need to break to you. Sure. Oh, no. The cinema score for this movie was a B minus. You, you 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 couldn't change it. You did all you yeah. could. <laughs> <laughs> you did what you could, but Spencer, didn't make I have a difference. Really bad news for you. What? This whole recording session has been a pretext to keep you in place for an hour while the drone strikes home onto you in exchange for what the fuck you said about Shyamalan on the <laughs> Chronicle. No, you're dead, bitch. Goodbye. No, well, at least my hot CIA wife will protect me. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's gonna do it folks this has been get cynical episode four follow hannah on twitter unless she doesn't want that uh i do never fucking post so if you follow me you're kind of playing yourself but yeah do it anyway it's yeah hannah you can Yolo, follow hannah h-a-n-n-a-h-y-o-l-e-a-u that's right and uh yeah we'll catch you all next time Bye-bye. bye bye bye